Hello Burlington and welcome to Net Zero Energy. I'm Jennifer Green, Director of Sustainability for the City of Burlington, where our goal is to reduce and eventually eliminate fossil fuel usage. Today we're pleased to have Jared Duval, Executive Director of the Energy Action Network, here with us to talk about the new Annual Progress Report, released just recently by EAN. It's great to have you with us today. Thanks, Jen. Really glad to be with you. There's just a lot of data about carbon emissions, energy in Vermont, so much to talk about. Yeah, this uh, we do this report every year for the state of Vermont, for our network, to really be able to step back and make sure that we're grounding and trying to advance Vermont's energy and climate conversation with the latest available and highest quality data. There's so much information swirling out there. And so one of the things that we try to make sure happens is that we have a fact-based and evidence-based conversation with with that latest available data that, that we can provide. Well, I know everybody's been referencing it. It's definitely out and about. You know, this report is in people's mailboxes on their desks, and there's a lot of talk about it now. So we really, we really do appreciate it. It's definitely the go-to document, I think. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So I know people can get their hands on the report. That's easy enough, and we'll make sure listeners know how and where. But I know there are six key findings. We don't have to get into all of them, but of the six, sort of what rises to the top when I say share the key findings? Yeah. So uh, on the first point you made, the report is available at eanvt.org. And, you know, the first key finding is that Vermont has a responsibility to do our part. One of the things uh, that we looked at was, what does our climate pollution look like in comparison to other states in the region? Um, And how much progress have we made relative to those other states? And unfortunately, one of the things that we found um, was that since 2005, Vermont has made the least progress in reducing our climate pollution um, of any state in in the Northeast and that we still have the second highest per capita uh, greenhouse gas emissions of any state in the in New England um, only New Hampshire's per capita emissions are higher so whether the metric is making progress towards the national commitment that the United States made in the Paris Climate Agreement, doing our part towards a science-based target around reducing greenhouse gas pollution, and whether our measuring stick is uh, comparing to our neighbors, we have a lot more work to do to get on track to do our part, both overall and and relative to our neighbors. You know, to the naysayers, but why even bother in Vermont? We're so small. What's the point? For me, the climate crisis is a classic collective action problem, and the only way you solve it is if everybody does their part. You know, I think of it a little bit like a barn raising. You know, you think of this massive task of lifting this really heavy barn, and you look back at pictures, you see that it still happens in various parts of the country. It happened a lot in uh, Vermont and New England early history. You would see, you know, a whole community come together, uh, hundreds of people that were able to kind of lift sections of barn into place. And it's something that no one individual could do alone. And I think that responding to the climate crisis is is similar. And so if we step away, and, and remember, every single state, every single country could say, we alone can't solve this crisis. So so why should we act? Let's just be a free rider. Let's opt out. If everybody does that, it becomes that much heavier, you know, the, the lift for everybody else. And, you know, to me, one of the things that makes me most proud of Vermont is that there have been so many times in our history where 
we have, when people have said, you're too small to make a difference, what you do doesn't matter, we have chosen a different path, whether it was on marriage equality, whether it was on equitable school funding. When we've been at our best, we try to do our part and step up and lead and not just shirk responsibility and say, no, somebody else should, should do it for us. So of the six findings, I'm looking at themes like workforce, equity, um, the drain of fossil fuels on our economy when we could be, quote unquote, going local. Do you want to touch on any or all of those? Yeah, that, that last one that you just brought up, I think, is a, is a really important one because, you know, oftentimes, I, you know, I serve on the Vermont Climate Council and the Global Warming Solutions Act, you know, sets a legal obligation for us to reduce our climate pollution. So a lot of the analysis in here is around emissions, it's around energy use. But I think that a really important part of the story that often doesn't get as much attention is the economic um, effect of or potential of this energy transition. And I think about that in two ways. It's both at the kind of statewide macro economy level, but then also at the kind of individual household and consumer level. Um, so maybe to start big picture and then get specific and personal. The big picture is that, you know, Vermont spends a, a lot of money on fossil fuels. In 2022, as a state, $2.6 billion uh, on fossil fuels, gasoline, diesel, fossil gas, uh, fuel oil, propane. And whenever we do that, that's a 100% imported commodity product. And we are at the mercy of these, these global commodity markets. And the... This number varies a little bit year to year, but on average, about um, 75 cents of every dollar that we spend on fossil fuels drains out of the state economy. It's going to that fossil fuel importer, whether it's they're in Texas or Saudi Arabia or wherever. In contrast, and we actually have seen the data from Burlington Electric Department on this, when uh, our energy spending goes to electricity, that ratio gets flipped on its head. And about 75 cents of every dollar stays and recirculates here in Vermont. Because you think about what is that, as a rate payer, what is your, um, that money in your electric bill going towards? It's not to import something from far away. The vast majority of the, of the cost of running an electric utility is line maintenance and tree trimming and customer operations. And yes, power purchases, but a lot of that is, is more local power purchases than you would see when we're importing fossil fuels. So the opportunity here by investing in efficiency, moving to clean and renewable energy resources rather than fossil fuels, isn't just to reduce emissions, it's to invest and strengthen Vermont's economy by keeping much more of the, our energy dollars staying local um, and, and helping support our neighbors and, and good paying local jobs. So Jared, what does that mean at the household level when we talk about the economics of fossil fuel use? On average, fossil fuels are more expensive and more price volatile than the, the uh, lower polluting options, especially electricity um, and also advanced wood heat when we talk about the heating side. And so what that means is that when folks decide to uh, purchase an electric vehicle or install cold climate heat pumps or a heat pump water heater, um, they can get off of 
uh, high cost, the kind of roller coaster uh, um, that fossil fuels represent in terms of cost and get onto lower cost, more price stable um, alternatives. Um, I should say that in, in Burlington, it's a bit more of a complicated story. There are, there are really clear cost advantages in much of the rest of the state because the comparison is, you know, um, a heat pump water heater or a heat pump versus fuel oil or propane, which are much more expensive than, than fossil gas or natural gas is. Yeah, exactly. Well, again, you know, before we started recording, you talked about the nuance of energy and electricity and how you appreciate so many of the EAN members because they understand that it's not always black and white and there's a, a lot to understand. And I think the heat pump scenario is one of them. And you know, one of the things that we include in the report is a comparison of the efficiency of heat pumps and electric vehicles versus the fossil alternatives. Unlike um, combustion technology, like a boiler or a furnace, heat pumps um, transfer energy rather than generate heat energy. And that allows them to um, achieve efficiency rates that are above 100%. And so, you know, the, the laws of thermodynamics basically top out what the efficiency of a boiler or furnace can be at, you know, theoretically 100%. Most of them are in the high 80s, low 90s in terms of the efficiency of transferring energy to heat. In contrast, a heat pump, you know, Air source heat pumps on average are about 240% efficient. Um, ground source heat pumps can get efficiencies even higher than that. So, you know, it's three, four, or five times more efficient at trans at, at the energy input being translated into heat, um, which just reduces the overall amount of energy we use. So there's this double benefit. We're using less energy overall, and the energy that's being used in a heat pump is much lower polluting because it's from 100% renewable electricity portfolio in the case of BED versus you know fossil gas or, or some other uh, fossil fuel. The same is true on the electric vehicle side. If you put a gallon of gasoline in a, in a vehicle, only about 16 to 25% of that energy that is combusted ends up being delivered to the wheels or actually resulting in moving the car forward. Um, but because electric motors are so much more efficient, it's about 87 to 91% of the energy input into an electric vehicle actually moves the vehicle forward. We also include in the report a comparison of life cycle emissions, including the uh, initial uh, production of the vehicle, the battery components. And we find that on average, um, an electric vehicle over its lifetime is five times lower emitting than a comparable gas vehicle uh, in Vermont. Funny, I was just having a conversation with a friend who said, I think the best thing for me to do is to just wait till my internal combustion engine dies and then I will go ahead and buy an EV. And my argument was, you know, if you're talking about carbon footprint, because his argument was around the carbon footprint, yes. you know, there's already this embodied energy in this ICE vehicle that I own. Why would I go buy something new? But I think what you're saying is, if you're ready to buy a new vehicle, go buy an EV and don't wait around for your internal bus combustion engine to die. Yeah, and, and I think that that relates to a really um, uh, important, valuable state program that n not enough folks know about, which is the Replace Your Ride program. So if you have an older uh, fossil vehicle, um, you can turn that in. Um, and I mean, th there are details, and it's worth looking at Drive Electric Vermont, uh, which has all these details. But and get five thousand dollars. That's a way to ensure that that gas vehicle is off the road. Equity is a big theme in this report, and I'm really mm -hmm. pleased to let listeners know that we just did an interview with 
Justine Sears, and Kelly Lucci. Yeah, the um, Efficiency Vermont report on energy burden and comparing that by region of the state um, is such a, a great resource. And one of the things that we tried to do is uh, kind of add to that a little bit um, because what the, the data that they were using allowed them to look at energy costs uh, or energy burden by like electricity costs and fuel costs. But I think there's also a fair way to look at energy burden that, you know, when, when we talk about the energy we use, oftentimes the cost isn't just in the electric bill or at the gas pump. Um, it is the equipment, the purchase of that equipment and the operations and maintenance of it. And so we have a graph in here that um, looks at the average transportation costs, average transportation burden, inclusive of not just what people spend on gasoline or diesel or electricity, but um, the cost of the vehicle, the the maintenance of the vehicle. And what we find is that when you do that, the statewide average energy burden from transportation, the share of a household budget that goes to transportation is 25%. A quarter of household budgets going to uh, vehicle costs, vehicle maintenance, um, and the, the energy input to it. Um, now that varies. Um, here in Chittenden County, it's about 19%. Um, but there are regions of the Northeast Kingdom where that transportation energy burden is 30% of a household budget. And the two key factors there are not just how much money is being spent, but what's the average household income. And so when you have a place where more miles are being driven and average incomes are lower, as is the case in the Northeast Kingdom, energy burdens are going to be higher than in a place where fewer miles are driven and average incomes are, are higher. That's my biggest hope of what is going to be possible um, now and in the years ahead, is that we can really seize this win-win opportunity to cut pollution and cut household energy burdens, energy costs, to, as we're building a cleaner economy, build a more equitable economy that helps lessen that burden for folks. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know? Yeah, one, one of the things that we do in this report is try to make this, this question of the energy transition, how it can benefit you, um, really practical at a kind of personal and household level. And so we have comparisons of potential cost savings of different um, heating uh, systems, of different vehicle choices. Um, we have an example, for instance, of how the incentives could stack up for you if you're buying a used EV and how that could reduce your transportation costs versus a, a used gasoline vehicle. Same thing for, for new EVs. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff here that I just think is it's so important that we ground ourselves in what is true rather than narratives that kind of feed a uh, kind of like political or cultural agenda. So let me give an example of that. There are, there are a lot of people out there right now who are speaking out against electric vehicles and they, they want to turn it into this kind of cultural question of like EVs are for elites. They're so expensive. Let's actually look at the data. The two best-selling, most registered electric vehicles in Vermont are the two most affordable, the Nissan Leaf and the Chevy Bolt. I pay less than $200 a month for my Nissan Leaf. And so for me, one of the biggest benefits of going electric is the exact opposite of what is being claimed by the opponents of electric vehicles. It is to reduce costs as we reduce pollution. 
Thank you so much for your time today. Tell us once again, if folks want to see a copy of the report, where do they go? Our website, which is eanvt.org. Um, and if you want to request hard copies, um, you can email us to do that for an upcoming event. You can download a PDF of the report. We also have an interactive data explorer there. Um, if there's individual graphics that would be helpful to you to share in a newsletter or on social media, those are all available individually for download. We try to make it a really user-friendly, anything you could need in one place at eanvt.org. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you again for listening to Net Zero Energy. If you have any questions about this podcast or what BED offers regarding incentives, rebates, or technological support, look for us at burlingtonelectric.com or call us at 802-865-7300. You can also follow us on Facebook. We're always here to help and look forward to engaging with you on our mutual path to net zero energy. Thank you.